Hello and welcome to GateWorld.net. My name is Adam Barnard, and today I'm sitting down via phone with the lovely Louis Ferreira to talk about Days of Stargate Past, uh, Limetown, and Louis's, uh, I think, the three decades long acting career right now. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I think, I mean, year 33 is coming up. Well, Louis, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Um, j- just to start things off again, how did you get into acting and what do you attribute that passion to and, and what kind of lit the fire inside you to become a performer and, and you know, really have that be your full-time career and your lifestyle? I think it really started off very accidental uh, from the perspective of like I was the kid who came from a very broken childhood. Teachers sort of uh, mentored me throughout my school years and uh, always encouraged me to start participating. As a matter of fact, I was born in the Azores, and when I got to Toronto, where we uh, immigrated from, I was um, I, you know was in kindergarten in grade. I was six years old, and so kind of uh, you know older and and sort of bigger than most kindergarten students who were like I think we start kindergarten like four or five, um, but quickly caught on to the, uh, and, and, and found the love of the, of the English language through a book actually called Mr. Muggs, uh, uh, which was an English sheepdog. And, and, you know, and I will connect it only because I have had three English sheepdogs throughout my life. Um, so it was like a tribute back to that day, because I really think that's what kind of started it all for me, my love of reading. And I remember, uh, my grade two. So just two years later, I was already at the Catholic church, uh, in Toronto that I attended the school, St. Mary's, I was already doing the, the readings from the gospel according to X. Um, and so I think that sort of looking way back, it was just acting right away from that get-go. Anytime I did anything, I could escape. I could escape. I could run away. And that was the other thing. I literally did that. And then I was a cross country runner for years. And, and so then back to my regular life, my dad died when I was 11. We moved into a subsidized a uh, welfare uh, homing in Toronto in a notorious area called uh, it was the Jane and Finch corridor, which for me ended up being one of the greatest experiences of my life. I spent about 10 years there, but I was working and I was pretty much working from a very, very young age, a very blue collar family um, and a, a wonderful family that I have because uh, it's all about the things that ultimately matter. Um, and that stayed with me throughout my entire life. So I'm working at this factory and the, the owners there are like, Hey, just stay here. And so I'm like, uh, probably thinking that's going to be my life. So 17, 18, 19, all those years there. And then I had a great 12 teacher, Mr. Allen, who t- uh, sort of directed me in a couple of high school plays. And he was adamant about me giving this a shot. So two things happened kind of simultaneously that I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but what ended up happening is that man kind of became like a father figure to me. And, and, and again, connecting the dots, I now do a lot of mentoring with younger actors and something that I'm very proudful for, but it all comes full circle for me. But what really happened was there was this girl in high school. Her name was uh, Laura. And she was like, you have this Jimmy Dean look and there's this open casting call and you should go in because you really think, you know, I really think you could do this. And I just went, okay, so we stood in line for like three hours, one, one day in Toronto, and I went in, and that casting director was a woman by the name of Diane Pauly, uh, who was Sarah Pauly's mom, and I ended up working with her on Dawn of the Dead to say, your mom changed my life. See, what I tend to do is connect these dots always, come back, um, and um, she got me an agent, literally. Like, it was one line on a film called Return of Billy Jack. I got the part, and then she got me an agent, uh, Clibby, Varian. 
at an agency called Faces and Places. And I pretty much, I think that was 1984, and I think it was my high school graduating year, and I pretty much from then started working. And I learned, somehow was lucky enough to really sort of just start booking things and learning the hard way, I guess, by falling on my face on film. And just, uh, I think because of all the experiences up to that point and my life, the outlet thing really connected for me and I really enjoyed the acting. But again, when I started acting, I thought it was just going to be like, all right, I'll do this for a little bit. It wasn't any, any, it wasn't any part of me. It was like, I'm going to do this as a career. I didn't, I didn't even connect it to, I was like, all I knew was better, uh, work. It was more fun and, and it paid more than the five fifty an hour I was getting at the factory. And that allowed me to help my mom and take care of her, you know, because we were, you know, she was raising me on four ten a month welfare and our rent was two eighty. I'll never forget that. So it allowed me to help out. And so again, I don't think for the first five, six years, um, I was even, you know, thinking I would remain an actor. I was just doing it as it came. So I hope that answers your question. No, absolutely. And I mean, just looking at the diversity of roles you've taken on in your, in your career, you know, viewing acting as a catharsis and in a way and a way to emotionally process things, it really makes sense that you seem drawn to so many different roles and can play so many uh, different kinds of dynamics. Um, but speaking of that, I want to get to just start off with Stargate Universe, which you know, I can't believe it. The show premiered uh, 10 years ago, so it's a decade ago. You guys were probably working on a little bit earlier than that. Um, just, you know, in retrospect, now having a decade in the rearview mirror, how do you look back upon that experience and, and what does it mean to you? You know, when, it, when that job came along at that uh, time in your career, what was the significance of that? There was a lot of uh, factors uh, for me. Uh, one of them was simply that I had, um, before that, I had had a career in L.A. that was uh, about 10 years where I did nine different shows. Uh, and I think eight of the nine pilots were picked up. So I did a season of a different show every year. So in other words, I was kind of grooving and I was kind of like coming into my own. And I was going from sitcom to an hour and I was working with the guys who did X-Files to Gary David Goldberg, to Stephen Bosco, to John Wells. I was, you know, I was on that list and then I had gotten divorced. And when that happened, my ex took my children to uh, Toronto where we are, you know, where I'm from originally. And I, I just, I made a decision then that I was not going to be the dad that I had and said, I'm going to put the career in States on pause and just simply go back up and do right by my children. So that was the, the first thing that happened. And that was like 2002, 2003. So I, I did that, ended up getting a show in Toronto and I was there for a while, ended up getting full custody of my son. And when I finally got full custody of my son, it's now 2007 or, or whatever it was, it was just before the Stargate. So we then, I drove, I, so now I'm going back to LA after being gone for a, a number of years and I was in LA for about two, three months when this Stargate audition happened. And so here I am now, a uh, single dad with my boy, just put him in school and this opportunity arises. And I thought nothing of it because I sort of just almost like, Hey, I'm just getting acclimated again. And oh, look, there's an audition and it's a show Stargate. And um, I knew I loved SG one. I really enjoyed, I hadn't seen Atlantis much, but all that happened for me was that I, I, I remember putting myself on tape and then I forgot about it. And then I got a call back something. And then all of a sudden I was like, I'm in the mix for this thing. And it kind of got serious really quickly. And, uh, the other big thing for me, uh, it was Stargate universe that where I decided to go from a stage name after 25 years 
to my uh, legal birth name because my mom had passed in 2008. And I wanted, that was the first credit that I had where I was uh, credited as Louis Ferreira, which was a big, you know, as far as like the business and how it works and the idea of branding, which I'm sort of not big on particularly because I believe in just like, if I'm nothing, then anything is possible. And that's sort of just, you know, it's just almost like a spiritual concept, but it's something I've, I've always believed in very strongly. Um, I, I did it for the right reasons. I did it for my children's names and I did it to honor my mom. And the interesting thing about it with everything going on right now, since it's diversity, I just went back to my full name, which is actually Luigi Enrique de Rochefreda, Louis Ferreira. And so it just, it made sense for me. So that had great significance for me and to not have, you know, those guys at Stargate give me any hard time about it was really uh, appreciated and respected. So that ended up being just that whole experience for me was just nothing but lovely and fantastic for, uh, for uh, a lot of reasons. Like I said, I tend to ramble. So maybe you want to, you know, put me on track again as to what you're wanting, <laughs> uh, wanting exactly out of this. So does that, did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that was wonderful. It's it's great background. Um, in terms of the character of Colonel Young himself, he's a very strong leader, but he's also a bit of a broken man. I feel like for you, when you had to craft such a layered and dynamic character, a character who had a lot of sides, were, did you get a chance to like talk with the writers and really put a part of yourself in the character? And how did you approach playing someone who you know, from episode to episode, the audience might either love or hate, depending on what they do in the show. I mean, I, th I think the uh, truth of it is there's always a part of you in every character that you play. But I think the beautiful thing about it is um, your experiences or you, the sum of your experience. And it was interesting because when I changed my name, part of me was like, I really feel that I spent my, my career as Justin Lewis trying to not embrace anything that I was. I ran away from it because there was shame, there was embarrassment, there was pain, there was hurt. So acting was a way to just escape all of that thing. And so I was able to like lose myself in, in some of those characters. Um, when I came to my own name, I was then able to make the adjustment where all of a sudden embracing who I was and the journey that I had been on, seeing the value in that and the truth in that. So things like all of a sudden that started happening for me was like personal evolution equated with integrity, with honesty, with truth with nobleness and wanting to be ethical. And these were things that were, again, I was impacted with by my Mr. Allen and that great, I never had it up until then. I would probably have been very easily diagnosed with ADHD as a kid and up until my twenties and thirties, most likely. But Colonel Young was the kind of man that I truly wanted to have. Like there was, there's a part of Colonel Young that I, I, I wish uh, I wish was in me. I loved his strength, his character, his integrity, his stillness, his quietness, his, un, his inability to like, it wasn't about in anyone pleasing anyone else, but it was about doing the job first and foremost. And the cracks that happened were results of the fact that, the, you know, these dire circumstances that they were all thrust into. But in terms of his, his core, to be that sort of steadfast in, uh, in, in your sort of truth is something that I more than ever now really appreciate, especially as we watch the world crumbling around us and with lack of leadership in that way. Like I, I really admire men who have that quality. It certainly wasn't something I grew up with and I certainly never saw it, but I saw it in uh, someone like Mr. Allen. I saw it with these guys who are uh, committed to what they do, whether they be soldiers or officers or in those things that the, the, the sort of like just, there is no movement here. Yeah. There is no apologizing for who they are. 
that had a great appeal to me and it was a really fun thing for me to explore. I mean, listen, between the takes or for example, on the pilot, we would be doing that. And then, you know, I had a fart machine. I still had some work to do. (laughs) Even on that, you know what I mean? It was like, I was on that ground, I think for like 20 hours and during in between, I mean, I was, I was putting this, it was one of those remote control ones. So I would go in many different areas and just throughout the day, just like, just, you know, there was always that joke with me. It was always like, Oh, he's so serious as soon as they say action. But the minute it was cut, it was back to like the antics of the clowning. And I was always that class clown growing up, which was fun. Do you find going back and forth between that because you know, your own personality is, is so lively and a character like Colonel Young is so grounded and, and seemingly unmoved by such chaos around him. How do you make the transition when they yell action? Is it just something that's instinctual or did you have to learn, you know, where you end and where a character begins when you're shooting a project? I used to, I would say in my twenties and thirties, really be big on the method acting. And I, 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 I loved it. And because of my past, I could have easily fallen under the guise of like, hey, the tortured artist who gets pats on the back, but then you're left pretty miserable. And I at some point chose that first and foremost, I want to be a happy, loving human being. And that's, that was a conscious choice. So the ability to sort of go back and forth was with time, with experience. I think it's just like you do all the different types of painting and then you just sort of find your own thing. And it becomes the work becomes like not the easy part, but you you're grounded in who you are and therefore it's there. It's accessible because you've earned it. And that's a great feeling if that makes sense. You know, it's just sort of, I think it's just our own, when they say we're all works in progress, it's because it really is true. And I was always someone who fought for personal growth because I did want to, you know, I, I, I did want to be the father that I didn't have. I did want to be the great partner to my, uh, to my lady that I never, you know, I wasn't in the past. And so that to me had great, so it all connects again. And the idea that you can find a profession that allows you and that you can take your experiences and grow into and grow with, I mean, that's just, that's the gift of, and and why I love what I do as hard as it is. I I can't imagine myself uh, doing anything else uh, with as much passion and love uh, for that reason. Wow. That's amazing. And so, so you're able to kind of got to the place where you don't have to take your work back with you and live in kind of the place of the character just to stay in character when you're shooting something. Yes. And what I'm saying is I was very clear. I remember when I did that for, and you know what, that caused me a lot of uh, pain, truthfully, because I, I remember playing certain roles and especially my first 10, 15 years roles. There was a lot of stuff that I was just like, it was like tortured souls. And I was like, it wasn't feeling good. I mean, you know, so the idea that I was like, I want to be, now I've come from a very different place. Like I'll, I'll, um, literally my favorite book currently on acting is literally called acting from a spiritual perspective, which is part of my personal journey. And it's, it's a wonderful book because it, it, it really covers that, that journey that we're talking about. And this woman, uh, her name is Catherine Marie build. B-I-L-D is just uh, really, as not just, I think she, this, this book is for anyone, anyone who's thinking about becoming an actor yeah. and anyone who's been doing it forever, because it really does allow you to sort of make choices that ultimately benefit you and your life first. And then second is, is, is the work. 
And speaking of Stargate Universe, it seemed like the actors really became like a bit of a family. Like on social media, on you know Ming Na or Brian J. Smith's Twitter, every now and then I'll see a picture of a lot of the main cast and some of the recurring cast. And it seems like every year or so, you guys meet up and have formed a, a real family. You know, in retrospect, what was in terms of days on set or episodes? What was one of the what was a standout for you looking back? Well, I'll tell you, I think it, it was very much a family and I was very much a proud to be of that family. And almost like I actually, uh, I think the nickname I got from the, some of the cast members was uh, Papa Smurf. <laughs> and that made me, I mean, to, to this day, I mean, I still, I still get calls uh, and I'm still very close to a lot of the, uh, you know, the actors who played my friends. I mean, I, I just uh, yesterday I was talking to Elena. I, I saw Brian a, a little while ago. I love my Robert Carlyle. I love Ming. I mean, I just, I, I see David Blue at the gym all the time. And so we're still, it was that special thing. You know, that was the other thing that came together for me was that I had done a lot of leads in different shows, but there was always, there was always this thing that happens sometimes on set where there's dynamics, whether you want to call them uh, hierarchy dynamics or whatever it was where, you know, you, you just amidst it, you have to deal with that. And Stargate was the first time where I was kind of in that lead position. And I really think Bobby and I were the kind of the older veteran guys. And he was kind of like the mama and the say he stayed in his trailer and stuff. And I was the guy who was more like the papa who was out there with the thing and encouraging and all that. And we worked really well together. And I, Robert was like literally my brother from a, from, you know, from a different country, like the bond that we immediately had. Although I will say, when we first walked down Robson street for the first time, when we were talking about our characters, I could barely understand them. And I was like, are is that, is that, are you, is that the accent you're going to be using? And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. and he switched it on a dime for me. And I said, Oh, thank God. Thank you so much for doing wow. that. And he started laughing so hard because he really had a thick and he has a thick program. He wants it, but he's brilliant as a, you know, he's a brilliant actor, as you know, and that relationship, for us was kind of the core relationship that kind of split the, the, you know, the team in two between the science and the military. Yes. Yeah. And so that was really key, but yeah, all those wonderful young actors that were there doing their first series, they were just, it was, it really was a beautiful family. So I don't have one, and even, you know, you know, Patrick Gilmore, Peter Kalamis, uh, Jen Spence. I mean, I'm super close with all those guys here in Vancouver. And they're all doing great and doing well. And so we have stayed in touch. And it's, it's, it really was a blessing in every way. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll, here, I'll give you a little quote from this book that I love. So the word is reciprocity. And in acting, and this I'm quoting this, in acting it means mutual honor and appreciation between actor and director, actor and producer, actor and actor, and actor and audience. It means I am recognized as a valuable player by you and you are recognized as a valuable player by me. It excludes either the tendency to look down one's nose or up from the ground at another. It means the universal respect, appreciation, and love that life has for each of its manifestations, as well as that which each manifestation has for every other. Isn't that beautiful? And that is the first time I feel like that is, that's how I felt on that set. And that had great value because I then took that to every set or I try to take it, let's put it this way, uh, to every set that I am on. And uh, that to me is the sort of ideal scenario, not just for myself, but for any group of people working together under the circumstances of, of filmmaking. Because let me tell you, first and foremost, the crew, it's the crews that are the heroes. They're there 70, 80 hour weeks. I mean, I, I, I have done that as an actor, but it's a very different scenario uh, for, for me. And so that across the board when you have that sort of feeling and that starts at the top that starts with brad wright 
that starts with Robert Cooper. And if they have that ability, and they did on this particular job, it's the best case scenario, uh, in my humble opinion, for everyone involved. Yeah, and then that's just amazing to hear. I know for for the cast and for a lot of the crew and for many fans like myself, the show was such a transformative experience and and so seminal. Uh, quick last question about Stargate Universe. Um, it ended prematurely, I think it's fair to say. While the series finale is a very beautiful story and episode of television, it was not intended to be the finale. Um, not that you have to disclose it to us, but did Brad Wright ever tell the actors the ending he had in mind? I know that's been alluded to that he had a very specific ending in mind and also a follow-up to that would you play colonel young again if you got a call to return to the stargate universe i would play colonel young again in a heartbeat um and the answer to the brad wright question i think is i i may be paraphrasing but it was something like it was gonna be great end quote (laughs) (laughs) so you never you never got the scoop he would never give away our secrets no no we all guessed we all had you know I, i i felt like I remember my people. Oh, and that's actually, actually, that was a beautiful moment. That moment of the last episode, where we're in the mess hall yeah. and we're all there sitting down. We knew that the possibility of the show not coming back. And now again, I am a little foggy as to whether, I think we already knew the show was canceled, but there was such love in, 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 that, in that room, in that moment, there was such a connection for all of us. And even just going in those pods at the end. I mean, there's something crazy about the idea that we're still just floating through space and at any point we could be brought back. I was thinking we would all have like super long beards and uh, it would be like the visual, like some sort of like Jesus Christ superstar moment. I was like coming back with the musical version. Obviously I'm kidding, but my point is, is I, we just, we, we, I think everyone would have had a, a different crazy idea of what, where it could have ended up. But again, the possibilities are kind of endless, but it's kind of stayed with Brad. Uh, and I think it's still with Brad at this point, to be honest, because I ended up working with him on travelers again. Oh, right. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so when we, you know, when I see him, there's always, I have such fond memories of just sitting there in the Stargate offices with him and just talking. We, we would talk about everything else, but the show sometimes it was like, we were friends. It was family there. We'd go, I'd go in there for some like therapy once in a while. And, uh, we were, we were there for each other in that way. And that's the rare exception, but I think that's, part of the, what we chase in life. We were looking for those exceptions. And so it was to experience that once in a while. It's like, you know, that's what we call like, that was a home run, you know? So let's talk a bit about Limetown, which is a show that you were in a couple episodes of that just came out on Facebook Watch. The show itself is about a bunch of people at a research lab that go missing, and Jessica Biel's character, Leah Haddock, unravels the mystery of what exactly happened in this little scientific community called Limetown. Um, So just a question for you. Uh, did you know about the podcast? Because the show itself is based on an audio podcast that was out in 2015. It was one of the most downloaded podcasts of the year, I believe. And, uh, you know, are you a podcast guy? Had you heard of Limetown before you got the audition? I'm I'm very old school. And by that, I, I, I say that <laughs> with pride. I'm happy to say that. Like, I'm not on social media as like, that's about, that's pretty old school. It's pretty crazy, especially right now in terms of my business and how it works, but it, it is for a reason. Again, going back to the idea of, I, I love the idea of what social media can do. I want to get behind causes I believe in and let's change the world. And collectively, consciously, we all need to come together for the greater good. But the idea of ever self-branding myself, it goes against just my wanting to remain a blank canvas. So if I can remain a blank canvas, then I can possibly create anything. If I'm 
falling for uh, the idea of what it is I think I want to be or branding, and that's taking up space on my canvas. It interferes with the possibility of what could be, and that's just kind of how I see it to keep it in very simple terms. But uh, when Limetown came around, I remember I just put myself, it was a self-tape. Self-tape is a weird thing. You know, it used to be like, and again, old school. My, my favorite thing was that you would get auditions and you would go into a room and the 30, 40, 50 guys, however, would be there and you'd battle it out and may the best man win. That's what I was used to. Now you could literally on your iPhone do an audition up against, like I'll do it in my small little apartment here in Vancouver. I probably got about 20 inches across the wall between the edge of the TV. So I'm up against this little blank wall. Nobody knows that, but here I am with my beautiful lady being my partner reading for me while she has the computer on her lap, the phone up in one hand, trying to keep it balanced. That's what it's become. It's such a different you know, thing. And, 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 and Limetown was one of those where I had a friend just come meet me at my friend's house. I was staying in LA and I said, I got to throw myself on tape for this. And I did it completely forgot about it. And I think we got a call like five weeks later, six weeks later. When they expressed interest, I then listened to the podcast. And by the way, I'm just getting into podcasts now. So if you have any recommendations, I'd love to hear them because <laughs> um, I'm kind of digging them. Um, I loved it. I completely got hooked. I thought it was so well done. And then uh, when I actually got to meet the, the writers and listen to Skip and Zach and their story about why they did it and how it came about, I was just, I was big, I was huge fans from them from the get-go. And then when I got this character for me, again, my evolution is going from playing like, you know, cops, blue collar, blue collar. Now I'm get to play, you know, a neuroscientist. I'm like, what? This is awesome. And that was the exciting part for, for me first and foremost. And I also loved Max Finlayson because I saw him right away as very, very, very multi-layered, very complex, very sort of like just the idea that you're going to meet him. And then 15 years later, you're going to meet him again. And this impact and what has, what was the impact and how does he change? Well, how does he change what he sounds like, what he talks like, what's the impact, what's the effect? And at the end of the day, what was interesting for me on Limetown was that Marley Matlin didn't kind of come in till very late. And so I was not aware that it was going to be Marley, which is different from the podcast um, as far as Max's wife. And it gave it a, a very different texture. And then for me, it changed because the root of Max when you meet him initially in episode six is a broken man who's lost his love. Yeah. And the science thing for him was more than just science, even though really at the core with this, with that level of who he is and the type of person he is, science is the thing that had to come first for him. But it wasn't just about, there was that other component to it that added a different dimension. So I really loved the idea of him being out in the middle of nowhere and one of the things that they didn't go for, but I pitched like, let him have like a big, long gray hair with the ponytail in the back and the glasses. And I was really trying to really getting him to look as old as he could look and broken and skinny and thin. Like he just was, I had pitched the whole thing with the gun, with the sort of intellectual, you know, suicide as opposed to the, you know, the crazy tension ones that sometimes you'll see most of the time. I just wanted to be like this methodical person just contemplating why at this point and after that moment where he sees that they have his wife and there seems to be no hope in that moment he's like this my i'm thinking just maybe killing myself is probably uh, the smartest option and it wasn't it wasn't so much heavy as it was just like fact and so all of those elements made it really interesting for me but i loved all the sort of the, the range of I, I think of colors and i i really feel 
I'm I'm pleased with the way it, it turned out. To be honest, I, I I was I was I was very happy about those dynamics working. So, were you able to read like all the scripts when you signed up, or did they just give you your scripts? Because were you able to you know put the puzzle piece together? Because the show is a lot different than the podcast. There's a lot of blanks that are filled in because we're not listening to Leah's recordings. We're kind of watching it unfold in real time. Yeah, my partner and I read all the scripts together, and she and I loved them. We loved all the time. We were like really really into it. It was exciting just to be part of something that we thought had great, great potential. So in regards to the character of Max von Layson, as you said, he's he's very multi-layered, very dynamic. Deirdre points that out. I think we just picked that up from the way his character is written. Uh, were there any real-life figures or performances or, or you know, real-life geniuses that you based the character off of when, when uh, you know, approaching the material? Um, there really was not. For me, I, I, I just, um, I, I didn't really have anybody that I, I looked to. And again, I was very excited about the idea of being able to explore this kind of role, which I normally don't play. So the fact that I was a little bit out of my comfort zone, I, I wanted to just, you know, enjoy that challenge. Part of the fun always in the journey is always to go, hey, here's a box I haven't ticked before. I haven't played this type of role. So what I loved really was the idea of meeting him first, later in his years, in life and then kind of going backwards the way they did that with the show, which is one of the things I kind of liked in terms of like how they jumped the timeline stuff. What had been his journey from Limetown where he felt like he was the king of the world and he was operating probably from an ego basis, but I didn't want to really make it like the typical ego thing as much as he really believed in the science and he really believed that what he was doing was going to change the world and make it a better place. You know, um, and the idea that his technology at some point started crumbling and, and he was really, and here's the other element. I really felt Max, one of the biggest driving forces, and it was really kind of almost a thing where I kind of personally played it more than anything, sure. was the love of his wife. I, I felt what really, when you first meet Max in episode six, really what that is, is a man who is broken and crumbling after losing the person whom he loved most in the world, his wife. I wanted to feel that <clears throat> Max in Limetown was, not the same guy you, you obviously met 15 years later, obviously. He's literally forced into isolation, forced to confront his part in the demise of it all. And I remember one of the cool things that had happened, which was rare in television, just in terms of the, the fast pace, was I shot all the Limetown stuff first and then sort of had the luxury of weeks for me, which was, again, uh, something I hadn't experienced because it was over the Christmas holidays and then I wasn't really going to work for my episode six, which was like the last week. Uh, uh, of shooting. So I had all that time to really think about uh, the differences. I was happy the way that that was done. Like I really felt like I, I saw three different versions of that particular character throughout the show. For me personally, that, that, that was a pretty cool thing to have experienced, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then like just speaking about, you know, the character motivations, like you said, so much of it is about the love of his life. But, you know, some of it is still about his ego. When he hears Leah over the radio and uh, she kind of baits him, he gets, you know, he pours the coffee into the radio and gets really frustrated and and reaches out to her and says, wait, I want to set the record straight. Do you, uh, what do you think is the motivation? Does he snap in that moment? Does the isolation finally get to him or is he just trying to set the record straight? I think it is a combination of things. And thank you for reminding me. I literally had forgotten that. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. And that, that is the ego of Max. I mean, again, he does, he very much had that ego. I mean, that was the writer's intentions throughout. So the idea that someone else would be taking credit for his invention, 
was kind of just the line. And, and it was, you know, Leah was smart enough to have picked up on that. So when she doctored that particular recording to make it sound as if his Oscar was the guy that she triggered him exactly the way she had hoped to, uh, and got exactly what she wanted. But in one way, Max, I think at the end of the day, realized what was happening. You know, that first scene where they're walking and talking through the forest, he's like moving at like super fast speed, talking super fast. Cause there's, I wanted to have, for me, it was a sense that he knew that his end was coming soon. He didn't really want to involve anyone else, but his ego was big enough that he was willing to risk, her coming to his place and possibly getting her killed for just save that. So that's clearly, uh, you know, someone with some, some ego issues, <laughs> narcissistic, um, tendencies for sure. I have a quick, just last question about your process and like, you know, looking at Limetown or any of the shows you've done, cause you have done a lot of recurring or regular or guest spots on TV shows, but you also seem like a real character actor. Uh, how do you find the time to prepare when TV works on such a fast timetable? Do you make that time for yourself or is it just an instinct that you've just gotten used to, you know, coming in with very little preparation and making a character really hop off the screen? A lot of it is instinctual for me, but again, we are products of our experience and I'm at a point where I feel very, there's, I feel like there's nothing really that I can't play at this point. I just look for opportunities that are maybe different. It's a very, to be honest right now, it's a very, very tough time in the industry. There's a lot of different factors happening that have nothing to do with the necessarily the art. As you know, there's always levels of things. So I'm just trying now. My whole thing is I've gotten back, I've gotten back to the, uh, gotten back to the, to LA and I'm recurring currently on, uh, I think SEAL team, uh, and SWAT. And I'm trying to like, uh, pick up what I left in 2004 or five, whenever I left, you know, the, the kinds of shows that I'm loving that are on the, the streaming, really generally the streaming uh, shows are, are stuff that really excites me. Um, you know, the opportunities are there. But as far as my personal process, I, you know, it's doing the work. I've always enjoyed that. And it's the thinking couch. Find yourself a good chair, sit down, create. That's where you spend all your time. And then hopefully, if you're, you know, you get the set and you forget about it all and it's there because you've done, you put the work in. I mean, if that's the whole, uh, I think that's, for me, that's most of it. And there's always that what side of me, what experience in me has uh that connects with the character first and foremost and if not then it becomes this game of imagination which is just as fun for me but like i said I, with justin lewis i used to run away and i'm now as louis ferrer very much embracing and i think that's uh that to me feels really sort of you know i feel good about that as far as like the bigger you know the journey that i'm on 